0: Welcome to the Between Two Wheels podcast, NorCal cycling news and commentary, as well as all around the world. Uh, today, we're going to talk about we're getting, you know World Championships just finished, and I am not going to discuss that too much uh, today. We're just there's a few little topics I'm going to throw out, we can do a recording on, and then hopefully have Chris and Kurt because I'm. Guest list today. Chris and Kurt come in. We're going to uh, give a breakdown of the world championships. It just was. For me, it was a very exciting finish. Uh, Not sure that I'm a big fan of uh, the fact that Valverde won, just um, kind of his history and being an old dude. But it is nice to see a. Oh, yeah. Valverde won, by the way. But it is nice to see uh, a guy that's perennially in the mix and making wins and always in in the action to actually be wearing the jersey. I, I'm a big fan of that. Not a big fan of uh, some people that have won it over the Fondrius. Uh, uh, Maurizio Fondrius winning it in 88. Uh, never anything, really anything after. Uh, did get a live off of that promise um, uh, for his career making bikes. Some crappy bikes, by the way. Uh, but anyway, so it's kind of cool to see Valverde. I mean, he had Valverde, Bardet, uh, Mike Woods, Muscon. Would you rather have Muscon or Valverde? Yeah. Um, good mix of rider Tom Dumoulin in there, so uh, very good mix, and came down to a pretty exciting finish. Thought I'd just go quickly on some some issues that are uh, caught my eye this week, uh, kind of peripheral to cycling. Uh, one of them is this uh, American survey that comes out of the uh, towns, the commuting towns and, and, and bike, uh, activity, uh, use over in the United States, uh, kind of a little breakdown. We'll look at that survey, some of the other issues going on with it and which cities are leading the charge and readership, the bullet point here, uh, ridership has fallen, at least in 2017, the, the 2017 survey that just came out. (laughs) The other one I want to talk about is, uh, Lance Armstrong had come out against uh, David Miller, who was running for CPA president. Just give a little idea. And that uh, his failed attempt at it. uh, That came out. And there's some interesting inner workings with the CPA. Some people have made some comments, how the voting goes and kind of what that union, some of the history behind it. And then what that has going forward. And hopefully, and then some of the hypocrisy that's involved in all sides here. So maybe we'll give a breakdown that. All right. So there was a, a, uh, little reason magazine had a, a breakdown said after millions of dollars spent and hundreds of new lane miles built, bike ridership is down across America. Now this comes from a perspective uh, and you can see different, I'm going to tie in a few different uh, other writers, uh, write articles about it, but this one comes from more of a cost perspective. Uh, so you've got to, here's the, here's the gist of it downward. Some cities, including car centric places like Dallas, Phoenix, did see small giants in the share of commuters biking to work, but not enough to reverse the national trend in the U.S. as a whole. Only 0.5% of bike people bike to work in 2017, down from 0.6% in 2016. What is driving down this uh, is difficult to say. Uh, the reasons could vary from city to city. Yet the fact that biking is fall, and they say biking throughout this, and I like to say cycling. That's always an indication of kind of where you're uh how in-depth you are uh, to the culture of it but nevertheless Vikings uh, falling even though cities committed to expanding bike ridership suggests that throwing more money at the bike only infrastructure cannot change the fact that most people would rather use non-pedal powered modes of transportation to get around that to me is uh, obvious and we can go through the the facts uh, a different, uh, kind of the layout of some of the, the breakdowns that they had here. But I mean, it depends on what kind of community you're in, whether biking to work is even going to work for you. Uh, you know, if you're going to be doing 40, 50 miles, uh, to get to your place and maybe it's too bad traffic, you don't have good lanes, uh, not good infrastructure for that. You're more than likely not going to be actually using the bike. It's just not going to be sensible. If you've got kids that you've got to be dropping off, picking up, uh, that's not going to be sensible, uh, either. So, you know, everyone's factors are different. Um, My co-host here, Chris Flower, just recently had a transmission issue with his car. So he had to find out alternate means. I don't think bike commuting was on that list. And um, at least he seemed to have uh, pushed it away quite quickly. So uh, anyway, we all have different things. So how was this survey conducted? It's not necessarily just ridership. It's about uh, commuting Uh, and the annual American community survey asks residents which mode of transportation they use most to travel to work last week. So it's kind of a reference of what you did last week. This is not to measure a uh, total of cycling or they actually said biking in here And this is from a bike blog, uh, only bike commuting and there is no accounting for mixed trips where someone bikes or uses bike share to connect to the transit or for more people some days uh, more than others. Uh, and by asking last week, a response will be will vary depending on the weather. Uh, so, for example, many people who started biking. Now, this is from the Seattle blog there. So, they give an example here. Uh, for example, many of the people who started biking to UW Station when it opened in 2016 would be filed under public transit, not biking. Once again, using biking um, from a bike blog. So. Okay. So, there was a little bit of focus in this. this uh, and it was very difficult for me to actually find the survey, which I, I did got it here all 30 some seven pages i think of it uh, we'll go over a little bit of those uh, highlights uh, but an interesting thing they focus on seattle which has been very bike centric and trying to push its way up in um in the overall rankings uh seattle bike bog they had some uh, interesting things here uh, latest census survey shows decline in seattle bike commuting especially by women okay so they go through why that is the case seattle bike commuting hits 10 year low census data shows there's another article uh then this one was a little bit more disturbing which it says 12 million dollars a mile here's how bike lane cost shot sky high seattle may 2001 2018 20, may 21 2018 so they had a, a, an interesting interest uh, issue there there was a four and a half block area where they added in a bike lane just a bike lane okay million in construction costs, overruns, uh, everything else ended up to be $3.8 million for four and a half blocks. Uh, Obviously, you've got to rework the road. So it's not just they're adding a bike path, they're adding a bike lane, which they've got to do sidewalks, engineering and all that. So it came up to $12 million a mile. Uh, That's pretty extreme. And what you're going to get when you do something horrendous like that, you're going to get a lot of pushback. People aren't going to see a benefit of doing that in a four and a half block, you know, area. They're going to, uh, which they should here, uh, like the bullet train here in California, which is a boondoggle and doing nothing. As a matter of fact, it's supposed to be a bullet. Now it's just a, a regular train. Who knows that it'll be done. And the cost overruns are ridiculous. And you should have outcry about that. There should be a cost analysis to benefit analysis to these things and is it worth it i mean you can put as much money as you want and are you driving everyone out of uh, their community and kind of disenfranchising them on that by how much they're having to spend on some of these things that's ridiculous you're not going to have a good because let's be honest here most of the taxpayers are the car drivers so we need to have some sort of alleviation uh for the traffic and the cycling is a great way to, to go about that but you don't want to do it to the point where you alienate everybody. I mean, it's, it's people love to have their point of view and to really push that and, and at all costs. But I don't think that gets you anywhere, especially with the cycling here. You know, why not do it in a friendly way so that it's beneficial to everybody. And when you go about and you think you're going to demand $12 million a mile, um, you're going to get some pushback and rightly so. I think it's, it's kind of ridiculous on that matter. Um, What was interesting from the Seattle one specifically, uh, who bikes to work. So they had, they broke it down by your profession, college professors, 11. They were the highest one, 1,165. Is that many college professors in Seattle? Is that good? Is that bad? I don't know. Um, A lot of leather patch wearing people with their tweed jackets. Okay. software developers, 1,015. Uh, I can see that in Seattle. Managers, 784. Physicians and surgeons, 551. Designers of the graphic and industrial bent, 433. Um, There's also a little breakdown about the city of Los Angeles in this Reason article. Uh, Their bike plan, they have a 240-page PDF online about their actual bike plan, which is a little bit much to go through. Uh, they spend a lot of money as well. Um, okay, so the actual survey itself here, the analysis of bicycle commuting in American cities. Um, this one is from the League of American Cyclists, and it comes out with the 2017 version here. Um, I'm just going to go through some highlights and kind of read off some of this, the, the interesting facts and then try to drill down to uh, the Cal- California ones. And it's, of course, interesting, and it makes no... I mean, I've I've lived and raced in... The Northwest. I've lived and raced in uh, Boulder, Denver area. I lived and raced in Sacramento area. And I, I said early on back in the 90s, uh, you know, if you can make it in whatever category you are doing in either Boulder uh, or Northern California, you can do it. You can go anywhere in the nation and be just fine in that category. You know, there's some places uh, I was a little more skeptical when I was in the Northwest of being, you know, a certain category and then coming to California, you're like, oh crap, you know, that's. Uh, It's a little bit higher quality here. Uh, But my point is, if you do it in those two areas, you can go to anywhere. And for the most part, you're always going to have good riders, but um, you're going to be able to handle yourself in those fields. Um, And it it shows with the the type of uh, attitude you have with cycling um, from as shown in the surveys. Okay, so most bicycles. So in 2017, the cities with the most bicycles. Now, look, you're just going to get it by population. You're going to get hipsters. You're not just these aren't just cycling. These are commuters, but it's bike positive attitude I would imagine that could go with a bike so if you're looking to push your bike agenda um three foot law, you know other bike trails and stuff someone that has a bike and that rides frequently is going to be more likely to at least be uh, open to your point of view than those who don't New York City as you would understand uh but they have the most number of commuters, 51,733. But that's 1.3% of the actual commuting population. Uh, whereas Portland, who's number two here, they have 22,647 commuters, which is 6.3% of the population. So that's, uh, you know, let's see if we can find the next one. Chicago, at 1.7 of 22,000. Uh, first one you get to here for California is uh, 16, uh, San Francisco, 16,266 at 3.1%. Denver 2.2% at 8000, uh Boulder 10.7% at 6000. So, I mean, that's a uh, obviously 6000 commuters, but that's 10% of their population and we'll get a little bit later. That's obviously a little bit less. Um down here near the bottom, but yet still not um you know, the top 20 it looks like. Oakland 2.3%, <laughs> Davis at 15.5, makes sense. Berkeley 7.9. Fort Collins, Colorado, 5.4, Santa Cruz, 13.2. As you would expect from those, um, and I'm going to read some of them Colorado just because it's on the west. We're very familiar with that, and um, they're also very bike-centric. This next one, 50 states ranked by share mode. Honestly, that didn't make much sense to me, so I'm just going to skip that over. Highest share of bicycle commuters. So commuting trends um, over the last 70 years, or the 70 largest cities, um, Portland, Oregon, you're going to see some, some names coming up here. Uh, and well, it's interesting. Washington DC has really made a surge with bikes. So they start to hit the top of a lot of these, but Portland and, and Washington DC tend to kind of rule depending on what the category is. Uh, Portland, Oregon though, this is kind of the change, uh, percentage of bike commuters. Went, like I said, 6.3%, 6.5 was their five-year average. Uh, they're actually at 0.1% from 2016. Uh, Washington D is up 7.9%. So they're kind of making a move down with San Francisco at almost 20%. So they are on the top what five here. So they still have a decent amount of commuters at 3.1%, but they really dropped. So 6.3 for Portland and second place is D.C. Third is Minneapolis. Fourth is San Francisco at 3.1. So there you can see that it's over double Portland, what Portland does to Seattle, and um, that change over time, you know, it's gone down drastically in San Francisco. And, you know, what? it's not uh, the part of the interesting part of the Seattle blog and their reasoning for why they had a downturn was their weather. Hey, they they like to blame the weather. OK, well, San Francisco down 20 percent um, and we've been having a drought over this period of time. Is it the weather? I mean, San Francisco has pretty decent weather. So why are they losing? Why Why do they not point out? I don't know, maybe someone has pointed. Well, so what is the deal? Why does Seattle have a, a downturn? Their downturn uh, from 16 to 17 was 20 percent and they blame it on weather and just above them at 19.2 percent. San Francisco, we're not going to blame the weather. I think it's so I think you can't just say weather is an issue and then be able to turn that off and, and make that your full excuse. Maybe it's something else. Um I don't know. Maybe higher. I I don't. I don't know. Uh, that's something to actually look into. San Jose down here. They were up 4.6 percent, um, but they only have a five-year average of 0. 0.92, and their whole ridership is at 0.8 percent. So, um, a little lame. We're going to read some of these. Some of these cities should be are more known for you know uh, a few things you wouldn't expect from cycling. Uh, Bakersfield, as an example, uh, they're up 12.7 percent. I did see some of these Fresno, Bakersfield. Uh, stockton had some rise coming up um over the last few years uh so it's interesting um to what their extent is i don't know but they're still you know low low average of bakersfield 0.55 but they're up 12.7 percent from 16 to 17 fresno 49 percent down okay um they went from 0.85 to 0.3 and that you know that (laughs) it's pretty rough um okay highest share of bicycles top 20 cities for having bikes as you would expect you're looking at uh the top four pretty cool here um davis and number one 16.6 percent of uh commuters who have a bike uh santa cruz says not in data but they're ranked number two um 2017 percent of commuters on bikes so sometimes it's like well if you're commuting and you're saying you're commuting you have a bike so that's kind of i think how they they're able to get this uh, number three, Boulder, 10.7%, and Palo Alto, 10%. Um Berkeley's up there at 7th, Chico at 12th, Redwood, 24th, San Francisco at 24th. Uh, all good info of who owns bikes. Okay, bike commuting is uh, growing fast. Where is it growing the fastest? Like I said before, um, Washington, D.C. starts to pop up on this uh change from 2006 to 2017 they are up 100 almost 150% Washington DC that is next is Portland Oregon and the change from 6 to 17 doesn't really categorize how they're in a number one and I think it's a uh, population changes mixed in here so you've got a few little uh some simple regression stuff that goes on um and then just the percentage of 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 commuters who bike um so Washington, D.C. is up there at number one. Portland at number two. New Orleans and San Francisco at number four. Oakland falls in the top ten. Uh, but it's interesting to see Washington, D.C. And I, I wouldn't know personally what their infrastructure is. Uh, I think they did a bunch of bike paths like through the middle of the cities or the, uh, the commuters. So they have a bike path. They have you know traffic right lane, left lane. And then in between, they're having a bike path. I think I saw that a few years ago when they were trying to make their push about having the Jiro start over there. Um, please God don't do that. Uh, San Jose's out there, Bakersfield, Sacramento, uh, change from 2006 to 2017 at 39% up. All right. Now by region, I'm not going to skip the East coast, the West coast. I'll tag this in our podcast and you can go look there yourself, but let's go, just go to the West. Maybe make a guess at, um, what do you think the, the most commuters are in the West? Anybody? Well, we talked about Davis before. Once again, they come in at number one. Percentage of 2017, percentage of commuters who bike 15.5% of Davis. Second, Santa Cruz at 13.2. Boulder, uh, third, 10.7. Palo Alto, 10 berkeley fifth place at 7.9 percent and then you got portland mountain view chico fort collins eugene uh so the west coast uh all good you know these are all good ones but you know we're really dominated up here in the northern portion of the state of california davis santa cruz palo alto berkeley mountain view chico um and then the next the santa uh, southern, southern california finally breaks in at 11th place for santa Barbara. so suck it southern california All right, uh, by size, you got cities compared to themselves, to peers, uh, particular size. You've got a um, population of 1 million, and we'll go break down a few of these here, but uh, 1 million plus. Uh, San Jose is our top one in Northern California, Los Angeles, beat us. uh They have 3.3% of commuters, whereas uh, San Jose has one4 uh, top one for the millions is Philly, Chicago, and New York. And San Francisco comes in on the second page of this. Uh, so there's Stockton, Bakersfield. They're in at the 300,000 to 1 million. I'm sorry. I' break that. San Francisco is fourth on that list. Um, so really, unless you're in some of those big cities, you know, some of these smaller ones I think is a little bit more interesting uh, to look at for your population breakdowns. And 100 to 200,000 is where you start getting into your more cycling eccentric. Uh, Boulder, Colorado is number one on that Fort Collins, uh, Berkeley's number three. Um, Arden Arcade is on the list. That's a, <laughs> that's a little section uh, just north of the city of Sacramento. It's in Sacramento County. Uh, somehow they break in the list. I don't know population is 10,000 there and they have 542 bike commuters I. I don't know interesting I I didn't know much about that little place except for the uh, one of the train stops goes through there if you are commuter by train uh, San Mateo 2.4 percent of commuters um, number of bikes 523 All right so what do you break down from this well um, obviously infrastructure costs are one thing you know here in Sacramento um, it's been highlighted even when the tour of California comes through here that we are very, very privileged to have this giant bike path. Uh, going from one stretch to the other end you know there's some issues uh, I mean Sacramento all the way up to Folsom uh, there's some issues with it uh, and the path you know deterioration but that's the thing if you get a bike path like that um, one you're alleviating traffic completely you're not putting cyclists out in the middle of cars stop signs issues you know traffic of being injured and you're also not having, I don't believe you would have to spend the same cost because engineering is to put an asphalt path cannot be the same as having to restructure an entire uh, city road as they were doing in in uh, Seattle there. So um, it'd be nice to see if you can have more paths along the line of that. I mean, that's that's the way to go. All right, I'll break that. I'll put the links on there. Maybe if you have some comments, you can you can uh, link uh, you know make your comments about bike commuting and the the reason that uh, we are seeing a decline as of right now. Um, I don't know weather not not likely the case. All right, so the CPA, which is the Cycling uh, Professional Cycling Union, uh, Lance Armstrong dissed David Millar for uh, being a president. So Lance comes out and says David Miller is the last person quote unquote who should lead the CPA. Uh, Lance says it's hypocritical treatment for former riders is the rest and is, uh, hypocritical he says and treatment. Uh, former riders is a recipe for exa- disaster. I'm not sure exactly what he means there. So that's why I'm stumbling with my words, but um, Lance is not uh, thinking that David Miller is a place to go. So what is the CPA? CPA is a cyclist professionals associates. Uh, it's a union for pro riders. Current president is Gianni Buño. CPA was established in 1999 and exists to represent the interests of riders and give them a voice in how the sport is run and in particular particular uh, regarding safety and financial concerns. So He was elected. Uh, We'll get a little bit more about that in 2010. Prior to that, it was uh, Cedric Vassur. They had a physical location. They all had to come to to vote. Uh, No option for electronic ballots, no uh, mail-in. So that's how they had to do the thing. Uh, So here's the actual quote from Lance, and then we'll go through some of the uh, actual history of this. Miller is probably the last person that would come to mind for this role, says Lance Armstrong. I wouldn't even call it change because there's nothing really there to even consider changing. I proposed creating a real union for the writers, not the window dressing that is the CPA. Now, whether Miller's the guy or not, and maybe, I don't know, Lance maybe isn't the best at how he structured this, but um, I believe his last comment is actually very true. And we'll get into that when we talk about uh, the complaints that the writers had and what their deal was with the union. But, Creating a real reunion for the writers and not the window dressing of the CPA is probably, I think, is, is 100% accurate. Whether Miller is the one to do, uh, you know, t- why, but if it's just a, f- a facade, then why do you care that Miller's getting to be elected for it or not? Uh, Miller's reaction was, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Lance Armstrong, great at talking about it on podcast, shit at actually doing it. On behalf of the Peloton, thanks for the support. Once again, David Miller is, um, well, he was caught cheating uh EPO served a time pretty good story about his whole redemption um but he's going to talk on behalf of the peloton he won he's not elected he's just running so but uh, these people are great that and I know I think David Miller comes across kind of as pretentious um Phil Gaiman did not have very nice things to say about him or inferences about him in his book which kind of seemed like a pretentious prick um with that said it'd be interesting to hear Phil Gaiman, who he, uh, how he would take this cause I'm sure he was in support. I say, sure. I didn't see this, but he didn't, uh, negatively react to David Miller coming out for this, uh, particular post. Um, so he's might be in a quandary of who do you, uh, who do you like less and who are you going to support? Okay. So a little bit of history of the union, um, They've had multiple unions over the year. They tried to get one in the 1898, various organizations, usually based on a national platform. So this is part of the problem you're still going to have existing and ongoing is how are these things, the nationalistic binds of a lot of these writers in the different countries that are, are be able to focus these things out. So they first had some success. And it came about in the 1978 Tour de France. They were protesting split stages. So we've talked a little bit about that at the history of the tour um, uh, some split stages. I think Davis Finney won one of the particular split stages. They would have like a team time trial. I know when the, the uh, 7-Eleven team, I think it was 88 or 87. I think it was 87 when they had uh, the yellow jersey, uh, Alex Stita. Uh, he had been in a breakaway that morning and then they had the team time trial in the afternoon and he got shelled out and the team was horrible. Well, partly he almost lost, uh, got DQ'd for the time limit himself for not being able to hold on. Uh, when he had the yellow jersey, anyway these kind of issues have been about well in seventy eight they made a real big deal about it, and they wanted to stop that, so they um, created this union to join forces the a i c p r o the association international of cyclists professional um kind of clear looking back at that whether that union had its uh they were able to stop some of the split stages then, although as i just mentioned ten year or ten years later, they're still around. Um, whether it was Bernardino's influence, because uh, he was against that, or if it was actually the power of the union. But the, then the, after that, the P- union's like, hey, uh, we're, we're a little, we're gonna, we're gonna do our thing. But their power started to dwindle, mostly because a lot of these uh, separate countries um, had their own little power struggles. And you have, you know, the Dutch, the Belgium, the French, the Italian, the Spanish. They all have wanted to do their own thing. And especially back then, everything was much more nationalistic. You weren't necessarily having you know, writers from foreign countries mixing in on teams. You do, but not to the extent you do right now. So um, then came along, this power was limited of this one union, This Festina Affair, uh, which came out in 1998. Um, no coincidence that the current CPA then kind of was created following that the next year. Laurent Jalabert kind of was this head of the protest unit, and he said, we are fed up with being treated like cattle, so we are going to behave like cattle. And soon um, he became the ringleader of this situation. And then, in 1999 comes the Giro, and these Italian races. Riders start to decide that they're not going to do their drug testing. That's that's their <laughs> that's their way to 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 stick it to them and show them that they're we are so um, upset at you saying that we're not clean. We're just not going to prove that we're clean. And you know, look, the tests were probably somewhat of a joke back then, as they could be considered all the way through most of the 2000s. Um, so, 1999 rolls around. Um, they're not doing these uh, drug tests anymore. Francisco Moser, former pro at the time, Italian, steps in as the hair, uh, the head of the CPA. He's followed in by Cedric Vassier and now Gianni Bonio. All ex-pros, uh, all of them Italian except for Cedric Vassier um, and in that order. So Italian, French, Italian, and Bonio is the current one. Note that none of these guys were um, duly elected. Um, I think the first one was uh, sat in or appointed or volunteered. We might have had some sort of election at that point. Uh, but then from then on, it's just basically been handed down. Okay, so the CPA, it's it, it's got a real, I looked at their bylaws, uh, seven pages. It's very simple to look at and to find out, you know, how they vote. Um, there, it lays out the voting in Article 12 under quorum and the right to vote. This is how it says, the members association of the CPA act on behalf of their members and have the right to cast a number of votes equal to that of their members. Second part, each individual member who is not represented by an association is entitled to one vote. So this is the problem you come into. And why do I say problems? Okay, so I think around September 6th of this year, um, Robert Miller, David Miller, sorry, uh, decides that he's going to run for the CPA presidency. So he puts his hat in the ring. Now, like I said, they've not had a, an election. They've just basically had uh, handing down. So if no one runs, the election is is, is a formality and it's no big deal. Uh, and they do have uh, rules laying out how that vote goes. So David Miller says he wants to run. And now writers are posted up on Twitter about having problems of access. How do we vote? How do we do this? Well, you've actually got to show up or do you? Okay, so there's a, I just mentioned there's two different voting blocks. There's associate members, unions, and then there's individual members. What are the associations uh, currently affiliated with the CPA? There's the ACCPI, which is Italy, APCP of Portugal, uh, ACPS of Swiss, UNCP of France, ACP of Spain, ANAPRC of North America. Um, so we're missing a few there, right? We're missing. Belgium, we're missing Netherlands, uh any other country, Australia. Uh so there's a bunch of uh if you look at the CPA page itself, it talks about um there who represents the national charters and it gives a list of all these different charters and uh member associations that gives those ones that I just mentioned. But then all these, hey, if you want to get something associated, here's um here's another one you can you can try to Poland look for Bardask Herzowski and uh australia uh, i look to adam hansen so these are associates but they're not part of a member union they haven't formed one yet so those each one of those individuals are voting as a separate block belgium uh, stein boykins he's an attorney delegate but that doesn't mean that they are an associated union with them so each one of those ones has to vote and they vote separately so what happens is you get block voting so your biggest ones are your Italian, French, and Spain. Okay, they've got, and I'll go through the numbers here in a little bit. So they do all those members vote uh, or the union votes for them. I think probably generally how I doubt they're taking a survey between their riders what who they want. And so they get a cast, the number of riders in their union, that many votes as a block. So they are entirely, completely unified in their voting. Uh, so you may have Belgium. I think I saw a survey of Belgian writers and it's like, you know, look, we're we're voting for David Miller. OK, but it was maybe 70, 30. So you still have 30 percent that aren't voting for him. Whereas these other ones are 100. They're more like despot nations, right? They're 100 percent votes. Um, OK, so all will I'll, I'll this is part of the problem to all professionals must pay into the union. Um, but they can't vote directly. But that's kind of their representative democracy, I guess, here. Six-member national associations vote in blocks. French Association, um, 150 votes. Uh, Italy has 124, and Spain with 86. And they all do the same. So when you get those kind of block, um, the Italians are all going to vote for Bugno. Likely the French are not going to vote for David Miller. Uh, The Spanish are not going to either. Um, So then writers outside those... Uh, nations they're just basically going to have to hope they get it let say so what was the vote uh Buneo won 379 to david miller 96 right, 96 not bad but you're looking at all uh you know you get to basically have i think those three blocks did it for bunio uh, spain french and italian <clears throat> all right so some some of the voter disputes and complaints out of this um so the presidency up until now, like I said, has kind of been like a banana boat republic or monarchy where the title's just basically being handed down because it's a, a one person um, election. So now you've, this isn't the first time, I mean, this is the first time a contenders really come up from what I've been able to find. So then the writers outside those three nations of Spain, France, and Italy, uh, you know, they're feeling somewhat disenfranchised until they found out they have to go to to when when they found out they had to go to Innsbruck actually at the world championships there to vote cast a vote directly which became an issue there's no no online voting and they really hadn't but okay so so what's what's with that OK, so Chris Froome even comes out and Garrett Thomas and they, they were, uh, wrote an official letter. Froome made it, uh, said on Twitter, seems to me that the CPA is running a dictatorship, not a democracy, which truly represents all the writers. Hashtag fail. All right. So there's, there's several things that are wrong with this. And I'm going to start here with um, what I had. OK, you've had time. That's block number one. David Miller put his hat into the ring September. I think it was six. Uh, basically a month before or around, not even a month before the vote was to take place. This didn't give anyone much time to accommodate his, uh, him and or the writers that wanted to maybe uh, have a vote. But since the union has been in place since 1999, um, I think Froome and the rest could have mounted their concerns in advance. You know, it's, is it the union's fault that David Miller decided to do this, uh, you know, just a few weeks before the actual vote? no, the bylaws are in place. So Miller announced his bid in September. Um, the CPA then notified everyone of the voting process that I, first I could find online was September 8. Um, now, Miller wanted to change the voting structure for the upcoming election, even though he didn't know. He said, I want to change this voting structure, but he also admitted, I don't know how it actually works. Okay, maybe maybe there's a problem with, with writers being involved in this. So, second thing I have a problem is um, Froome, this is a union. Um, it's not a government. Ha- have you ever checked into the history of unions and how they operate? I mean, it's, it's been in place since 1999, and it's actually pretty feckless. Uh, it's somewhat of what Lance Armstrong had said. It's, 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 it's one without teeth. Um, suddenly, you get another limey in place, Miller, that wants to run for the office. And so you're all supporting him, and you're going to be behind this. And you want the union to make concessions for you for this upcoming vote. But the rules are already in place and you don't get to just change them midstream just because you want. I mean, that Chris isn't a democracy either, right? It's kind of the tyranny of the majority of the minority being able to rule this thing. You can't come in at the last moment and expect them to overturn everything just to accommodate you. That has to be done next time. And like I said, you've had 10 years to figure this out. No, wait, 20, almost 20 years to figure this out. Okay, the bylaws are pretty, pretty, pretty fixed there as well. Okay, so move on. Okay, fix it going forward. Chris Froome and the others complaining now. Uh, well, they have some time to focus on it for the next time. And let's see if they do more than draft like an angrily, or harshly worded letter and a little Twitter hashtag fail. Um, they they have time to actually act on their outrage. Um, the the bylaws, like I said, are just seven pages. They're in place. Uh, the voting structure is there. You know how to go and make your demands and actually get something in place. I, look, David. For whatever reason, it came on his radar at this time. Um, Good for him. But you can't complain at this process for this time based on your tardiness, okay? I I don't think so. And and by the way, those North Americans complaining about this process, you can do something even easier. You can go to Christian Vandeveld, who is the head of your union, and ask him why you weren't notified about the voting process and make sure that he's voting the way you want him to be. So if this is a big concern for you, next year okay i don't know if the presidency is a yearly basis but uh you have something to do about it okay part of the problem too is you've got these these are cyclists they're trying to deal with their union um they are trying to fight for jobs um alex stita i'm sorry uh (laughs) um peter stetna you've got I think he's on on the union as well uh, a bunch of these riders and you know he look he's fighting for a job for this next year and you know let's be honest what's his big concern is it trying to go out there and find uh, a new team and a, and a job to ride for or is it you know coordinating i mean it's a simple thing of you know it's not it takes much effort but your focus is not on this you're in multiple countries you're going you know, you've got family you've got a job is this union vote your main priority and so you know it would be good to One, the Americans do have a union, so if there's any failure of notification that's on them of how this process goes, you know, that everyone's like, oh, Uh, part of the problem was we shouldn't even have this vote go forward because we weren't notified of it in time. Uh, Maybe, maybe so, I don't know, but isn't that what your union, I mean, maybe Vanderveld's too busy doing commentating, but, uh, you know, if that's part of your job, shouldn't you be notifying your writers of the upcoming situations? So what really needs to happen, look, Riders need something like this because you've seen a ton of, uh, there's just an article on cycling tips this last week um, by Neil Rogers, which broke down the state of cycling in North America. And it's pretty daunting. Um, you know, there's a ex- lot of exciting things coming. I look, I just went over the commuting aspects, uh, right, bike ridership pairs, to, uh, commuters at least appears to be down. Is this a trend going on everywhere? I know the e-bikes are coming up, world championships, uh, World UCI just announced you're going to have some sort of, Uh, electronic um, championship. Maybe that's a Zwift thing. I don't know. There's a lot of e-bike commuters, which I think are still a great uh, thing. Uh, So what's happening with this whole thing in general, and you need a stronger... Now, me, I I, I tend to think that the union is the wrong way to go about this right now. And, and, And I say this very specifically, and I've talked about it multiple times. The union isn't powerful and the union can't have power unless you rearrange the way that the economics are in cycling. You want to protest and you want to do some things, uh, fine and dandy, but when you are your sponsors are two years, three years, and they come in and out, you don't have this way to make money of like a stadium and selling product and the way that you do with all these other sports. So until you correct the economics of this, that union, all they're going to be able to do is basically kill their own sport, I think, from the inside. Uh, One of the big things that they actually should probably be doing, uh, which may help this whole situation, uh, can turn it around, is to get some sort of rider participation in the revenue from the Tour de France. The Tour is a giant moneymaker. It's the biggest thing in town, and they have all the power associated with it. And so, you know, if you want to start getting a little... Cut of the kind uh, of you know, look the aqua blue just went out of business, and one thing he had mentioned uh, the owner when he was talking about was getting into some of these big races. It's like, oh, you've got it. We got to put twenty k down just to be part of the Tour Suisse. Geez, you know, when you have a and, and I doubt. Do you think Sky's doing that or are they getting appearance fees? So you're flipping the script on that. And if these writers, small teams are having to pay for their participation and their budget's are already cramped, and you start adding up, you know, a few of these participation fees throughout the year, that could be a few writers' salaries. That could maybe, you know, after two years, that could be another year of operations. Who knows? All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed this. Uh please Check us out online. Um, you know, look, this is really easy to do. You get your little button in there on your iTunes or Stitcher, Podbeam, Overcast, whatever you have, and select the rate and review us. That helps us, gets out there. Uh, we're still trying to keep this podcast going. So just give us, even if it's a one star, I mean, I prefer more than that. But, uh, you know, we're trying to do some valid information here and some good work. And it's a it's a labor of love. We love it. But um, the more you get it out there, uh, the more... Better our, our listenership is, um, the more we have time for you. All right. Thanks again. Uh, once again, Between Two Wheels podcast. News, commentary, analysis, interviews from Northern California. Subscribe, share the show via iTunes, Stitcher, Podbeam, wherever you're at. We're also on YouTube and check us out on our Facebook page, Between Two, the number two wheels, and also Instagram and Twitter. Thank you.